This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. Good morning, Glenn, and for John as we continue with Morning Air here on this uh, first full week of January. Thanks for joining us and uh, making 2022 a great year to be connected with Relevant Radio. We'll keep you connected with a variety of good things going on this weekend. The March for Life Chicago, one of the Midwest's biggest gatherings of pro-life doings. Lots to celebrate, hopefully, this year as well. We'll uh, talk with uh, Kevin Grillio before this hour is through about that. Right now, we want to start out uh, checking in with one of our regular guests. Uh, she's an attorney and a public speaker, a regular here on Morning Air, talking about some of the dangers with prenatal testing. Mary Helen Fiorito joins us. Mary, great to have you along today. Hi, Glenn. Good morning. Good morning to all the listeners. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Uh, hanging in there with those resolutions so far? Uh, yeah, mostly. <laughs> I, have to, I haven't even got around to making all the resolutions, but, you know, it's, I'll get there. Hey, don't tell anyone but me neither. So, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, good. That makes good, me feel good a little company. better. Yeah. Good company. <laughs> very good. Very good. You know, we have enough guilt to deal with, right, as Catholics. And so, exactly. you know, they had the secular right. resolutions and on top of all that. It's not fair. It's just not yeah. fair. It's Once not my Christmas fair. decorations are down, I'll start thinking about it. So, there you go. You know, it's it's not only Catholic, but it's very handy to have that extra Christmas time for a variety of reasons. Right. It? There so, you go. And I know yeah. some people, we, we live in a community where there's a lot of people from Poland, and uh, th- those people who are natives of Poland tend to keep their decorations up until February 2nd, until Candlemas, uh, the Feast of the Presentation. And, um, you know, when John Paul II became Pope, uh, he began that custom at the Vatican. And so the Vatican Christmas tree stayed up till February 2nd. So... Um, I, I take advantage of every single thing I can liturgically if <laughs> it means I don't have to have everything down by a certain date. Well, I don't know. The older I get to, the the, the harder it is to put the stuff away, not physically, but just, uh, you know, I, I enjoy Christmas. And, you know, I say, put the stuff up early and, and keep it up late. And I've been known, granted by accident, depending on the, the, the house I've lived in, to keep that wreath on the front door uh, well, uh, you know, uh, well into February and maybe March sometimes uh, <laughs> if I don't use the door that much. But, uh, yeah, you, you know, currently it's a door yeah. that gets used more. But uh, right. <laughs> anyway. But there's very consoling about coming down in the morning when it's still dark, you know, even at 7 a.m. and seeing the lights on. Um, I, I completely understand why people would feel it difficult to take that down, you know, but um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that we see that light that represents the light of Christ in the world, and, you know, I find that's um, a very comforting thing, so... No Amen judgment here on Christmas decorations, but, but that's not <laughs> what you wanted to, to talk to me about. <laughs> well, no, that's, well, we got to touch base on some, some, some of that stuff as well. But we, right. what we do want to talk about is what's brighter uh, as a light, right, than that new life in the womb. And, uh, you know, in this day and age, there are, you know, we think of child mortality much better than it's been throughout history for the most part. But uh, there are also many maybe many more threats to that uh, that young life in our modern society. And one of those ironically ends up being uh, what's done with some prenatal testing. Yeah, there was a, a rather significant story uh, in the New York Times just a few days ago about uh, some of these uh, fairly recently developed tests. Um, I mean, in, in medical uh, 
terminology um, and in medical research, like fairly recent can be 20 years ago, but at any rate, the tests that weren't available um, about two decades ago, which are widely available now, that involve blood testing for chromosomal uh, abnormalities. And uh, the New York Times headline, and I'll, I'll just read it if your readers want, or your listeners want to Google the um, story and read it for themselves. When they warn of rare disorders, these prenatal tests are usually wrong. And for every 15 times this, these particular prenatal tests are correct, they're wrong 85 times. So a very, very large proportion of uh, false positives for all sorts of different chromosomal abnormalities. Um, Down syndrome would be among them, but also trisomy 18, uh, a, a disability called cat's cry, Willie Prater symptoms, uh, syndrome, rather. And it's a heartbreaking story because there are a number of women um, who you read about in the story who are told that their unborn child has a particular um, disability or may be born with a life-limiting condition, and they terminate the pregnancy only to find out later that the baby was perfectly healthy. And it's just a gut-wrenching story to read, but it does, what's interesting to me is it doesn't at all go into any kind of the moral calculus of prenatal tests. And um, for those who aren't familiar with church teaching, I mean, prenatal testing is morally neutral. So the church doesn't say that prenatal testing is bad. I mean, for example, I, with my youngest child who was um, born with a particular kind of lung condition, um, that was uh, determined and discovered during a prenatal test I had in, in, the, in the third trimester of pregnancy. And had they not known that she was going to be born um, really struggling to breathe, uh, they would have caught it eventually, but they might have caught it at a time where it would have done far more damage to her. Uh, but thankfully, they knew beforehand that, you know, that neonatal intensive care doctors were in the room during my delivery, and, you know, she was intubated in the delivery room and whisked away, and she's a perfectly happy, normal child now. So there can be very good and moral outcomes from having, um, you know, prenatal testing. However, the flip side of that, if, as St. John Paul II put it, this is a seek-and-destroy mission where you simply are looking for uh, disabled or, again, babies who will be born with a chromosomal abnormality like Down syndrome to, to eliminate them, that's not moral. So the, the application is that the tests are not bad in and of themselves. However, they can be used to do bad things, if that makes sense. Oh, it certainly does. And then uh, for a country like Iceland, for example, to say they've uh, pretty much eliminated Down syndrome for their country, we're thinking, well, wow, what kind of treatment did they come up with? What you know, kind of scientific breakthrough? And no, it's just that they have become so thorough at using these prenatal tests to identify, again, correctly or not, uh, babies in utero that have Down syndrome and uh, aborting them. Yeah, right. They haven't eliminated Down syndrome. They've eliminated people with Down syndrome. That's a very different way to describe it, but that's the more accurate one. And, you know, I was so happy to see such tremendous pushback from families of children with Down syndrome um, and uh, against that particular story about Iceland. And, you know, noting on usually on um, March 21st, so that would be 321 on the calendar, and the genetic component for someone with Down syndrome, a person with Down syndrome, is three chromosomes, uh, three on the 21st chromosome, uh, and, um, you know, showing pictures of their beautiful children. I mean, I have many friends who have children with Down syndrome, and they universally talk about that child being the most valued member of the family, if, it, if you will. And I, I also think of you know, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who has a little boy with Down syndrome, and how at her acceptance, 
uh, speech in the Rose Garden there. She spoke about how he is the, the most favorite child in the family, and everybody would say so. So you know, uh, people with Down syndrome are not burdens. They, bring, they may have some special needs medically, but they, bring, they are created by God. They are children of God. Um, and to have this sort of, you know, very kind of bald and naked campaign to eliminate them, um, it's very, very distressing um, because, I, you know, I remember there was something Cardinal George had said to me at one point. Um, we, were, we were speaking of a, a friend who had been diagnosed, um, her child was diagnosed in utero, and Cardinal George said, you know, Mary, all a Down syndrome child knows how to do is love other people. And I've always remembered him saying that. And there's such, you know, he had such a gift of you know, summarizing things into one sentence with a with a real truthful punch. And I, I just always remember that particular way of describing it. So, um, you know, it's uh, uh, in this story in the New York Times, um, I was starting to say, you know, it's, what's troubling is they say things like, well, you know, they're, they're able to catch the Down syndrome children with a very high rate of accuracy, as if that's something good, because the implication for all of the, the, the women that they're talking to here is, of course, you're going to terminate. And the, the pressure that is put on women um, to terminate uh, the, the lives of their unborn children when there's even sort of a hint of a disability, uh, it's, it's really quite something. And unless you've sort of been in that space, I don't think most people understand. And I think this is also why the church is so compassionate, because um, you know, when you make a decision to do this, if you are being coerced in a way, uh, including coercion by a spouse, by other family members, by your doctor, uh, then, you know, you're, sometimes the, the, in, in, the entirety of the moral choice does not fall upon you, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I had a cousin who was diagnosed in utero with uh, a baby who had Down syndrome, a little girl named Grace, and the pressure that she was put on to terminate that pregnancy was just, it was outrageous. It was absolutely outrageous. And finally, at one point, she said to the doctor, do not bring this up again, because I am not having an abortion. And she, I mean, she had to practically scream at this doctor, stop bringing it up. Um, but it was like at every visit, are you sure this is what you want to do? Are you sure? And it was, it was just astounding. And you are going through... Um, you know, enough because you, you have to obviously prepare for a child with special needs. There's, you know, a lot you need to do to get ready. But, you know, to have that put on you that every time then you go into the doctor, he's going to talk to you or she's going to talk to you about not continuing the pregnancy, that's, that's a tremendously unjust thing to do to an expectant mom. Uh, from a guy's point of view, uh, moms, expectant moms, uh, moms with the uh, babies uh, out running around as well, uh, uh, heroic and amazing. I think uh, women truly the the stronger sex, no no doubt about that. But uh, to it's really heroic to kind of have to withstand that pressure almost. And we think of how awful that can be. You know, evidence just kind of anecdotal. But as much as personality can be an inherited thing, we think of uh, just the the, the sweet personality of uh, folks with Down syndrome. And uh, right. as you said, Cardinal George saying they just know how to love. I mean, it that, that innocence kind of that, that carries through is such a good reminder to, to everyone day in and day out. And in terms of as we continue our conversation with Mary Helen Fiorito about the inaccuracy of prenatal testing, a beautiful, beautiful story of someone who's a, a bishop in the Catholic Church, the Bishop of Crookston, Minnesota, auxiliary bishop for many years in St. Paul, Minneapolis, uh, Bishop Andrew Cousins, uh, and his mom, Judy, was advised to abort him. Uh, they, they thought they saw some problems in utero, and she said, no, we're not doing that. And uh, lo and behold, not only a healthy baby, but uh, one leading the church as a bishop today. 
uh, you know, because she wow, made that I hadn't choice heard that. for, for yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and, and, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you no, know, the, yeah. the, the added guilt and the added anguish that must be um, present for a mom who does go forward with an abortion only to find out a couple of weeks or a month later that the baby was healthy. Um, I can't imagine living with that kind of guilt and trauma. Um, and, you know, the New York Times, um, uh, this, this lengthy story, and it, it is worth reading just for, you know, knowledge sake, because I'm sure a lot of people out there, um, you know, have, have friends or daughters or cousins or sisters who are expecting, and it is important to make sure that we, again, use these prenatal tests, which are morally neutral if they're being used for the right thing, but uh, kind of take them with a grain of salt, so to speak, and always, always get a second opinion. And even if you do get a confirmation that the baby will have a disability or a life-limiting um, condition when he or she is born, there are all sorts of other ways other than termination to, um, to help a family cope with that situation. You and I, I think, have talked a couple of times, Glenn, um, and John, I know I have, about perinatal hospice, which is a particular type of program in the same way that you can have hospice for already born uh, adults or children. Um, there's also a program called uh, perinatal hospice, which provides support and care and medical intervention for uh, families who are expecting a baby who is, is not going to be with us very long, who may just live a few days or a few hours, but it uh, provides all the support the family needs, you know, including, um, you know, pain control and pain care for that little baby. I think sometimes women are told, you know, the baby could die in a lot of pain. Uh, I know one um, neonatologist who has practiced perinatal hospice with some of her patients for more than 20 years, and uh, she gave a tremendous talk. I think it was actually for um, the Pontifical Academy for Life in Rome, where she said, I have never once in 20 years had a baby who died in pain. And she said, we have ample ways to treat any kind of pain that might be present. And she said, usually it's not. But in the cases where it is, she said, I have never once not been able to treat that child, to keep that child comfortable, and to give those parents whatever little time God's giving them with that baby to have it be peaceful and pain-free and comfortable. And, you know, I, I learned of this, um, you know, not too long ago myself because I had a friend who was had a, uh, during her pregnancy was uh, the baby was diagnosed with a very rare form of spina bifida and in, and they knew uh, it, she would not likely live much more than a day um, but she's you know they used perinatal hospice the baby was baptized she was held by all of her grandparents she died peacefully in her father's arms and you know my friend said we were sad but she said I have never once lost a, light, a night's sleep over uh, my daughter and and the beautiful outcome. Um, you know, God can always make good come out of very sad and tragic situations, is that her heart valves were, were used to save two other critically ill infants who would have died if they hadn't gotten her heart valves in time. So, you know, that has given them great consolation that, you know, the, the, the heart valves of their daughter, you know, beat today and, and two other little girls who would not have made it without her. Uh, 
Beautiful story there, beautiful story. And I'm glad we're talking about this for people to, to realize that and, uh, and all sorts of things, anything, uh, any kind of miscarriage, uh, stillbirth, uh, those things more common, maybe especially miscarriage than we realize. And it's something that as a society, we, we don't talk about that much, uh, you know, very much partly, I'm sure, because it's, it's so very sad. But uh, when you, you know, having to wrestle with the, the advice you're getting from your, your doctor, uh, with yeah. your conscience and trying to decide, uh, you know, no wonder it isn't, you know, average party conversation, but so good that we can be talking about that today. Also thinking just on the, the scientific side, my goodness, being wrong 85 out of 100 times, yeah, that's, you know, that's a 150 batting average. Uh, these guys would be sent back to the minor leagues. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, I was, I mean, I knew there was a high false positive for particular types of blood tests, for particular types of genetic disorders. I had no idea it was that high, uh, that dramatic. And, you know, you almost wonder why you would do the test at all, um, knowing that there's a very high chance that it's going to um, possibly be, uh, you know, a, a false positive. And, again, you know, tests can be used in a good way. It really is helpful I remember when, you know, my daughter, who I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, um, I had said, uh, you know, because the doctor wanted to do um, this particular testing on me, and I said, you know, I'm not terminating under any circumstances. I got very, you know, <laughs> emotional with her, and, and she said, I'm not asking you to. She said, if we need to know what, you know, the baby's lung capacity is going to be, we need to know if there's any other conditions that involve her heart. And she said, it's better I know that while I'm delivering the baby than having to find it out, you know, a day later um, because she may get sicker and sicker. We need to know this information now. It will help the baby. She said, I'm not, I will never suggest, um, I mean, we were at a Catholic hospital, and she said, I, you know, I couldn't do that anyway here. You know, so she said, but she said, I don't do them. I don't refer for them. I'm not suggesting that. I'm telling you this is going to be a help for your child. And then ultimately for you, because you have the comfort of knowing we will have specialists in the delivery room with you to be able to care for your daughter immediately. So um, it's not, if, I, I don't want people to think that it's, you know, intrinsically wrong to have a test that may, you know, give you information that perhaps you weren't ready to hear or you didn't think was, was going to be a part of your child's life, but it can be used for the good in terms of treating that child or, Again, you know, if the baby is going to be with the family just a short time to set up that hospice care, um, and, it, and it continues for the family even after the baby has passed away. You know, there's family counseling. There's, um, they, they really do some beautiful things now with memorializing, you know, the children by getting their, their little footprints and handprints. And um, I have a friend who lost a little boy with trisomy 18, and the, the nurse was just incredible in doing art projects with her other children that helped to memorialize memorialize and capture the time that they had with their little brother, which wound up only being three days. But, um, you know, it's they have that memory of him and processing that grief kind of in real time um, was a tremendous grace for the family. You know, and I, I think to be able to talk about that not only on the radio today, but encouraging people to uh, uh, avail themselves of those resources that are available like that. I don't know. Uh, my folks uh, had uh, had trouble before they adopted me. Uh, they'd had at least one miscarriage and uh, had a baby brother who had been a few years older than me that uh, died after three days, born a couple months wow. premature. And in 1960, that was a, a very tough thing. I guess they had to truck in a special type of blood for my mother from uh, Chicago to St. Paul because it wasn't available in the Twin Cities area and uh, very 
touch and go, and she was in a coma, you know, for a, whole, a week. Never was, yeah. uh, you know, uh, a, a, awake essentially to, to even hold her baby for the the short little time. And they didn't talk a lot about that. As a little kid, you know, we'd visit the baby's grave on Sundays after going to church, but uh, you know, that kind of drifted away after a while. And of course, they never forgot about that. But I never heard it talked about much in the household, you know. And, right. and so yeah, no, my mother had acknowledge it. Yeah. Yeah, my my own mother, too, had a baby who was stillborn, you know, a full-term baby that was stillborn. And she just said, you know, um, uh, you know, occasionally a close friend might ask, how are you doing, or, you know, but it, it really was one of those things. Um, there was a lot of uh, kind of forced silence around it. And she said, you know, that some of that might have been compassion, um, misplaced compassion, people saying, well, you know, you don't want to bring that up. But it gave no space for women even to talk about the child that they just lost. And, um, you know, just at, at least in the Archdiocese of Chicago, Catholic cemeteries will uh, bury for no charge any um, miscarried or stillborn baby. So I, I think that's probably the policy in pretty much every Catholic uh, cemetery. But um, and, and some cemeteries even have special plot areas for babies who are stillborn or miscarried. So uh, don't ever be afraid if you're not at a Catholic hospital and you're at a secular hospital to ask for that kind of pastoral care and to ask for the baby's remains in order to pray for the like with your brother so that the family can go and, and be there and, and pray for and to that little soul. Well, with a great topic, uh, not a, a happy one, but a, a necessary one, and we're glad we can shed some light on that today, too, that uh, prenatal testing, uh, not so accurate. But again, technology can be seen as a, a superpower if we use it for good and not for evil. Mary Helen Fiorito, thanks for joining us this morning. As always, look forward to our, our next conversation. Our next conversation this morning will be with Kevin Grillo and talking about Saturday's March for Life Chicago. It's coming up as we continue with more of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Get connected to the conversation. Call us now at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio. It's Glenn in for John today. Thank you so much for joining us. Story Corner coming up before the hour is through, coming up later this month. The March for Life on Washington, D.C., marking 49 years since 1973's Roe v. Wade decision. Talking with a pro-life leader yesterday, thinking this could be the last national march for life if the Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade. They're working on, or maybe you're already done with uh, writing up the case, Dobbs, uh, a case out of uh, of Mississippi. And, uh, well, could be could be different. Could be a different environment that would throw things back to the states. So there's still a lot of work to be done, especially in uh, states like New York and California and Illinois. And if you can't make it out to Washington, D.C., we've got a gigantic March for Life going on this weekend, Saturday, right in Chicago. It's March for Life Chicago. Here to talk about that, the, the director of that march, we have Kevin Grillo with us this morning. Kevin, thanks for joining us here on Morning Air. Glenn, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited yeah. to be here. 
Well, this the, this march has grown uh, tremendously in seven years, from 150 to 9,000 marchers. Are you expecting a, a pretty big crowd this weekend as well? Absolutely. It might be a little chilly today, but things are looking up tomorrow. Either way, pro-lifers are going to come out and march in Chicago. Absolutely. I imagine the uh, the mood will be pretty fired up this year with great confidence that good things could come from the Supreme Court. There's absolutely excitement around that, and I, we're thrilled that the Supreme Court had heard the Dobbs case, and we look forward to their results and response coming out, hopefully, this summer. One of those realities is, uh, say Roe v. Wade does go away, it turns that decision back to the states, whether abortion should be legal or not. At this point, it looks about... Half the states in the U.S. Uh, fairly soon after a decision from the Supreme Court would make abortion illegal in their states, and another half uh, looking to make it very much legal and encouraging folks from nearby states to come to their state to do a little abortion tourism. Sadly, Illinois looks to be one of those. Some of those numbers, even today, with Roe v. Wade in full effect, uh, show that Illinois is a place where a lot of people get a lot of abortions. Yeah, Glenn, unfortunately, if you look at the neighboring states of Wisconsin, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Missouri, you add all those states up and they have fewer combined total abortions than Illinois does alone in just one year. And in fact, in 2019, Illinois had over 46,000 abortions. It is by far the worst state in the Midwest for abortions and is becoming one of the worst in the country. How have you seen over the years some of the strategies change to help reach people for life? I think one of the beautiful things that has happened, in fact, in the last three years, in response to some of the legal changes in Illinois, people from across the Midwest are uniting here in Illinois and in Chicago tomorrow because they recognize how Illinois' laws impact the Midwest. So many people have started, we have we continue to do a grassroots effort, but there's a focus on how are you going to be an activator in your community. And so the movement has equipped people to serve in their community. So you're seeing not only people who are educated and know the pro-life message, but they're also doing fantastic things to donate or to support or to care for mothers and children in need. In fact, I'm looking forward to, I know multiple of the pregnancy resource centers that are coming to the convention tomorrow and that we're promoting are launching or have already opened new pregnancy resource centers in Illinois. Yeah, that really does end up being a false accusation against pro-lifers is that there's no care or concern given for the baby once the baby's born, uh, let alone the mother at that point. One of our speakers, Pastor Chris Butler, actually just talked about how he's calling for justice for both lives and how it's so important to care for both the mother and the child and that's something that March Live Chicago has been very much behind. In fact, last year alone, as we did a Midwest tour, we donated over 156,000 diapers to 20 pregnancy resource centers scattered across the Midwest. The pro-life movement as a whole does an incredible job of caring for both lives. Certainly does. We're talking with Kevin Grillo with the March for Life Chicago. It's coming up tomorrow in the Windy City. Uh, maybe before we're done here, we want to toss out a few times some of the nuts and bolts. We do have a lot of listeners in the Chicagoland area that uh, could make themselves available for that on, on Saturday. Where and when do things get started? Things get started Saturday morning at 8 a.m. at the Hilton at 720 South Michigan Avenue. 
which is where the convention, there's an expo, there's free educational breakouts. You can see those options at march5chicago.org. The rally is at 1 p.m. at Federal Plaza, 50 West Adams, right in the heart of downtown Chicago. And then there's more events, including a Mass for Life after, back at the Hilton. Excellent. And folk, I invite folks to, to come out for that, and that's uh, an event that's been growing. Just dress for the weather, and uh, and you'll be fine. As uh, Midwesterners, we, we know how to do that uh, if we want to. I know we had uh, 10 below zero weather last weekend for an outdoor NHL game in Minneapolis, and 38,000 folks uh, showed up for that just for entertainment. I mean, it's a way of life, right, in Minnesota hockey, but uh, it's for entertainment. Can you show up for, for life at the uh, March for Life in Chicago? I, I do think so. Um, we've covered the, the March for Life in Washington, D.C. for many years. Our Matt Beardsley will be out there, and uh, we'll have reports throughout the day coming up on Friday the, the 21st. And one of the, the hallmarks of uh, the March the last several years has been the giant number of young people involved. Do you find that to be the case in Chicago, too? Absolutely. We're looking forward to a youth rally tomorrow morning at the convention. We see so many schools and different groups coming with young people excited. We're thrilled to have the students that we mentor uh, because we dignify who oversees the March by Chicago. We mentor students in Illinois, and several college students are coming to join with us, as well as high school students. You're going to see a strong young population that is scattered throughout the March by Chicago. But the beautiful thing is, Glenn, we we see families are coming, families are registering, you know, the parents are coming, the grandparents are coming, they're bringing their entire kid, set of family and kids with them. So you're going to have a great representation of many different ages, but definitely teaching the next generation. Do you find it interesting, too, from a Christian and a Catholic point of view, that the marchers, by and large, the people trying to champion life while it's a life-or-death cause, do so with joy, and so often the counter-protesters have nothing but seething anger. Well, I think that's where the culture of death leads to. If you're promoting something that destroys, it just leads to anger or despair or hurt. But we have a beautiful message in building up the culture of life that draws forth the beauty of life, you know, truth, goodness, and beauty in life, and that leads to joy. Because when you are loving life and you are celebrating, you are sacrificing for others, you are experiencing a deep sense of purpose and meaning. And that's what the pro-life movement does and brings forth. I'm so excited for these voices to radiate off the skyscrapers. There's often a a difference on facial expressions that you can see from if counter-protesters are across the street, but then you look over Federal Plaza and it's packed with people who are excited to be there because they know they're doing the right thing. They know they're doing a thing that's going to serve so many people well. Mm. Absolutely. We're not talking about pro-choice folks. They're doing life wrong. They're angry. Because they're angry, they're they're doing life wrong. Uh, So often they they might be dealing with with guilt of being involved in an abortion in the past or, uh, you know, maybe not properly catechized, uh, to put it one way as well. But how can pro-lifers be, I guess, kinder and more welcoming and inviting for people to kind of come over from the dark side? Absolutely, Glenn. I think it's really important to not look at, oh, someone who disagrees is an enemy. No, this is an opportunity to convert and to reach their hearts. Because if you're going to bring truth, you need to do it with both charity and love. And so we're actually launching a brand new initiative. Tomorrow will be unveiled at the March 5 Chicago about how to equip people to do just that very thing in their own community. How do you talk to the person next to you who disagrees? 
How do you reach them with a consoling and open heart? And how do you move them? Because if we're going to change hearts, we have to know hearts. And we do it one by one to build up a, a community, and then we build a culture from that. One of the folks I get to talk to on a regular basis uh, based out of Minnesota with Pro-Life Action Ministries, Brian Gibson, does sidewalk counseling and trains others to do the same. Uh, And they've had people come from around the world for training, and they've got offices in Minnesota and and Florida, among other other spots as well. But noting the changing landscape of the increase in chemical abortions, the abortion pill being an increasingly common way of those young lives being ended, and we foresee this happening maybe especially more so in states that might outlaw abortion in the future, given that opportunity, but yet people will still strive to find a way to end those young lives. Does that put the uh, the emphasis really on more so sometimes that individual one-on-one conversation because there won't be that opportunity to be right out in front of a facility someone's going to and uh, ending that life within the hour, but it'll be more of a you know, kind of left up to, to folks in regular everyday life one-on-one to, to be there to have those conversations. Absolutely. You need to be able to be in that situation. This is going to dorm rooms. This is going to families' apartments or houses. You need Every person needs to be equipped to do that. It's not going to be a centralized location as it has in the past. In fact, one of the speakers we're bringing in is Dr. Christina Francis, who is the board president of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, and she'll be talking about and training people on how you can reverse abortion pill when it does happen. That pill, I believe, most often is a two-step procedure, and there are many cases, heard a stat the other day of uh, like 3,000 recently, uh, abortion pill reversals uh, with people being reached in between taking the first and second pill, essentially, uh, to be able to change their mind, and it's not too late. And also, and this was illustrated in just a a terrifying but realistic fashion in the movie Unplanned, the story of uh, Abby Johnson going from running an abortion clinic in Texas to being a a pro-life champion right now. But that uh, abortion pill situation, it's not like taking an aspirin uh, at all. Absolutely not. It's incredibly dangerous. And the fact that we're distributing it without any medical oversight, it's very risky. And so the the pain and hurt that can come from that and the danger to both the mother and the child is tremendous. Kevin Grillo is with us this morning with March for Life Chicago going on Saturday in Chicago. We'll continue our conversation. That uh, story corner for the day, too, coming up before the hour is through. More of Morning Air next right here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app. From Maui to Maine. You're listening to Morning Air with John Morales, coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Morning Air rolls on. It's Glenn in for John coming up after the top of the hour, leading us all uh, to navigate our way through clown world. Patrick Madrid with all the answers coming up uh, after the top of the hour. News headlines with Patrick as well. Continuing now our conversation with Kevin Grillo. He's with the March for Life Chicago, which is going on tomorrow. Kevin, uh, why don't, uh, before we uh, go any further again, tell us the, the time and location. A lot of listeners uh, within the driving distance of, of Chicagoland to possibly be part of the event tomorrow. Absolutely. Tomorrow, Saturday, January 8th, doors open for the convention, the expo, and diaper drive at 8 a.m. And then the rally starts at 1 p.m. at Federal Plaza, 50 West Adams in downtown Chicago. The march will follow immediately. There's a Mass for Life as well as a banquet that evening. 
Very good. I heard the word diaper in there. You're encouraging folks to, to bring along diapers, too. Absolutely. We are looking to raise 5,695 boxes of diapers this year. Coming off of last year's very successful diaper drive, we are again looking to help out mothers and children in need. And so please bring your box of diapers with you. If you arrive earlier to the convention, drop them off. If you want to march with them, that's okay too. But we'll be accepting diapers for the diaper drive throughout the whole day. <laughs> Marching with diapers. But, you know, how quickly, once the last one's potty trained, we kind of forget about the, the mountain of diapers necessary. And uh, what a great thing to do as well. Talk about that gathering, uh, the convention, as it were, and uh, some of the different areas. Uh, you know, we can talk a lot about people are familiar with, you know, okay, marching for life or out there, maybe 40 days for life, being out and praying in front of uh, facilities or the, the sidewalk counseling. But give us an idea of the, the breadth of pro-life efforts that are represented there. Absolutely. We have over 45 pro-life organizations coming together tomorrow at the Expo where you can connect because marching should be your first step in 2022 towards a pro-life message and an active pro-life lifestyle to jump in and serve women and children in need. So you have tons of pro-life organizations you can connect with. The morning does offer free educational breakout sessions at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. And that can look at the repeal of parental notification, Illinois' laws that impact the entire Midwest, or abortion pill reversal. There's an expert speaker named Kelly Doerr coming in who's going to talk about how abortion can enable sex trafficking. And she founded a human trafficking survivors network. So there are several different ways to engage and learn because marching should be moving you forward. And so we have thousands of people looking to connect in that morning as well as in the afternoon at the convention. The convention in the afternoon is going to be jam-packed. People are flooding in right after the march because the route for the march leaves Federal Plaza, goes north and then west, and then it comes down a long strip of Michigan Avenue and enters into the hotel at that point. So the convention is jam-packed with lots of opportunities to be connected to, because we really believe that this is marching forward. This is very early on in 2022, and we have a lot of ground to cover. So thousands of people have an opportunity to serve, connect, and donate diapers. A lot of work to be done, uh, no matter what the Supreme Court says, especially for states like uh, Illinois as well. And always good. We probably don't talk enough, uh, and we touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but when we talk about uh, abortion being bad, all right, we know, yeah, okay, that's... Uh, that seems pretty simple, but many, many people, even in the church pews on any given Sunday, up and down the aisles, have been involved in abortion, many more than we think. And uh, talk about some of the resources for those who are looking for, for hope and healing after uh, being involved. There are many great organizations like Project Rachel or Rachel's Vineyard within the pro-life movement. Many of the pregnancy resource centers that are coming, like Aid for Women, are able to connect to healing options, whether that be a retreat whether that be counseling, whether that be caring services, because when you go through a traumatic event that abortion is, it can it stays with people throughout their lives. It's so important that they're able to connect and learn and experience healing from that because we have a forgiving God, we have a merciful God, and we have wonderful people throughout the movement tomorrow that you can connect with and help lead you towards healing. And uh, that can be great, not only for personal healing, but uh, then, you know, 
turn people once they've kind of dealt with it uh, as best they can with God's help on their own and with the help of others as well, to uh, encourage others that they don't have to, to go that route or to know that there is hope and healing afterward. And that is not the, the end of the story. I've run into some just fabulous, fabulous pro-life workers who've been involved in abortion earlier in their lives. Uh, you know, anything from those leading an abortion clinic to those who've gone through it or had a partner who'd gone through it. And uh, it turned out to be just uh, wonderful folks to to share the good news that there is hope, the good news that uh, there is help to raise that child, the good news that uh, there are options. Just this week, uh, Pope Francis talking about thinking about adoption more as an option. And uh, so many in the West, uh, as he talked about uh, choosing pets over babies, and uh, we maybe ought, uh, well, nothing wrong with having pets, but, uh, uh, you know, put them over having a child. And uh, look at that beautiful uh, alternative of adoption as well. And as an adopted kid myself, I would heartily endorse that experience. And uh, I find it interesting and we've worked with a lot of, uh, actually in Christian radio, including at Relevant Radio, a, a large number of radio hosts who've been adoptive parents. And they, they love to hear stories of adopted kids like me that just had an utterly normal life, you know, no dramatic story. Uh, there was drama in the family uh, that adopted me before I came along, a lot of loss, a lot of grief, and being able to bring a new baby uh, home was, uh, you know, a great joy. And when I kind of learned the timeline leading up to all that was happening before I came along, it was like, oh, no wonder little Glenn was a big deal. And, uh, you know, here I thought maybe just because I was such an awesome kid and maybe that was it. But, uh, but you know, the, the joy uh, that you can bring to a household uh, as an adopted child and to have folks think of that. You know, we, we think of so often maybe uh, portrayed by the pro-abortion forces that, uh, yes, your choice includes the choice only to end that baby's life in utero. And that is not by any means the the only choice as well uh any any final words of encouragement to get uh, get folks out there or get folks thinking about life and how to converse about life and uh, everyday life too well if you're looking to stand up for life tomorrow is a great place to be because Illinois is on the path to continue becoming the abortion capital of the midwest we need everyone from the midwest to stand up with us there's such a voice that's going to be raised tomorrow that we can only anticipate echoing throughout the year, including with launching a brand-new Pro-Life Builder initiative in order to show how you can talk with people, how you can be engaged right in your very community and from your home. So all of that will be announced tomorrow at the march. We can't wait to see you January 8th, tomorrow, 1 p.m., Federal Plaza. Now, you got things set up and in place for tomorrow, but if people would like to help your organization in the future, what kind of help are you looking for and how can they get a hold of you? There's several different ways to get involved. MarchForLifeChicago.org is the best starting point. And if you go to Get Involved, you'll see dot options for the diaper drive. You'll see for being a pro-life builder. We're also hiring new pro-life missionaries to work with us throughout the year on college campuses. So please go ahead and check those options out. And then you can email us at info at org. Very good. And uh, one last time, that rally gets underway, 1 o'clock at uh, Federal Plaza, downtown Chicago. Uh, the march uh, going from there, uh, turning near Millennial Park, down to, uh, Michigan Avenue, ending at the, the convention where things will be going on at the uh, Chicago 
Hilton, and uh, a great day to celebrate life, a great day to encourage those that might be struggling with that choice as well, and a, a great day for moving forward with, with hope and healing afterward as well. Kevin, thanks so much for your time today. Blessings on a huge day uh, tomorrow, and uh, you know, let's hope for the day that these events are not necessary, and uh, Lord willing, that might be the case at, at some point, but uh, thank you so much. That's Kevin Grillo joining us from the March for Life Chicago going on tomorrow in Chicago. And, and don't forget, coming up, the uh, National March for Life, Washington, D.C., on the 21st of uh, January this year. It's a Friday. We'll have reports throughout the day. Our own Matt Beardsley will be on the scene, among others out there in Washington, D.C. Uh, coming up uh, for our listeners in Minnesota on the next day, the 22nd as well, there'll be the Minnesota March for Life getting underway uh, with a march uh, at uh, at noon that day at the state capitol, followed by a rally as well, and that's uh, preceded by a prayer service at the St. Paul Cathedral. So lots of opportunities around the country, uh, including on the West Coast as well, to March for Life, and you know you'll be hearing lots about that throughout the course of the month of January here on Relevant Radio. We continue now with Morning Air with a look at today's Story Corner. Our story today is called The Person Nearest You. It's from Joseph Mazzella. It was a rainy, damp December day. I was headed to the store to pick up another week's worth of food. I'd put off shopping for Christmas presents till later in the month, but wasn't looking forward to the crush of Christmas shoppers while I grabbed my groceries. I kept the CD player on while I drove to avoid the radio news and only spoke of the world's huge problems and how divided we all still were and usually just left me feeling helpless. Still, I gave my son a dollar to put in the Salvation Army bell ringer's kettle at the door to the store. We went in and soon filled our cart with food, and we walked toward the self-checkout machines. I hated using them. I much preferred to chat with the friendly cashiers, but the line at them was five deep, and I just didn't have the time. As I pulled my cart through, I heard the man at the machine next to mine grumbling under his breath, trying his hardest not to curse. He only had a few items, but every time he put in his old, moldy, wrinkled, well-worn $20 bill into the machine, it spit it back out. I quickly grabbed a newer 20 out of my wallet and gave it to him. He thanked me with a warm smile and paid for his goods. I told him to keep his money, but he insisted that I take his old, torn 20. I nodded and I put it in my coat pocket and I wished him a Merry Christmas. After checking out, I remembered something that St. Mother Teresa had once said about how we can all change the world. Help one person at a time, she said, and always starts with the person nearest you. I reached into my pocket, I smiled and went outside. Then I dropped that torn 20 into the bell ringer's kettle and walked to my car, happily humming a Christmas carol. God loves us all so much, and God wants us all to change the world with our love. It's easier than it looks, too. Just start with the person nearest you. From 1 John 4, 19-21, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's our story for today. You can hear it again in podcast form on the Relevant Radio app or online at relevantradio.com, or you can access each day's script and audio of the Story Corner on Facebook at the Glenn Story Corner Facebook page. And we always welcome your suggestions to the Story Corner, too. If you've 
run across something good you think we ought to share with the world through the Story Corner, or maybe something you've written as well, you can email us. Our contact point there is morningair at relevantradio.com. That's morningair at relevantradio.com. Thanks for sticking around. Thanks as well to Mariano and Gabby and Sarah, our behind-the-scenes producers, making it a great week here on Relevant Radio. There's much more to come straight ahead. The man with all the answers, leading you straight through clown world without stepping on those big clown toes or getting bumped by the big clown noses. Patrick Madrid coming up next right here on Relevant Radio and on the Relevant Radio app.